Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. I want to thank you for joining us again today. As I have outlined over the last several weeks, we believe that there are three major drivers for the economy and the markets in 2021. And we have already covered the first two, pent-up demand and politics, over the last two weeks. We will finish up our discussion today with the pandemic. Given the profound impact of the pandemic on the economy and the markets, you might ask why we were covering it last. And it's a fair question. The reality is, is that the economy and the markets will be grappling with the effects of the pandemic for years to come. Coming into 2020, the global economy and the capital markets were unprepared for the challenges of a global pandemic, and much of what happened during the year was overshadowed by the uncertainty wrought by COVID-19. While the areas of focus for investors during the year were supposed to be an improving manufacturing economy, a continued commitment to relatively easy monetary policy in the U.S. elections, the underlying narrative was turned on its head by a health crisis, which was unlike anything experienced in over 100 years. Early parallels between COVID-19 and previous viruses, such as MERS and SARS, proved to be inappropriate given the asymptomatic spread of the new virus. Fear crept into the minds of politicians and investors alike, and sharp spikes in cases and deaths led to lockdowns and a huge drop in economic activity. To be fair, the threat of an economically impactful pandemic has been discussed for decades. The mobility of the global economy, the reliance of companies on global supply chains, and the lack of any sort of global health standard created the foundation for something like the COVID-19 pandemic to take hold. In fact, the threat of such a pandemic taking hold was thwarted by the high mortality rates of the viruses I mentioned earlier. It was actually COVID-19's lower mortality rate, divergent presentation, and the fact that many patients are asymptomatic, which combined with the high transmission rates to make this a particularly troublesome challenge. However, As the first surge slowed, scientists were already hard at work searching for answers to this significant global problem. Building on work done for the MERS and SARS outbreaks, vaccine research kicked into overdrive around the globe, supported by Operation Warp Speed and other programs, and undertaken by leading pharmaceutical companies and academic institutions. Concurrently, frontline doctors and nurses were figuring out how to treat patients with COVID-19 more effectively, and certain drugs already in production were aiding in the fight to keep symptomatic sufferers from becoming severely affected, something that had been difficult in the early days of the crisis here in the United States. What the virus has laid bare, however, is that globally, governments do not have a well-thought-out plan or appropriate safety nets to be able to quickly target economic solutions. Initial lockdowns were probably unavoidable, given that there was very little known about the virus, and initially the treatment options were not yielding much success. However, the halt of the services economy in the U.S., China, and Europe created a deep hole where just a month before robust global economic activity had been. 
The dislocation resulting from millions of people unable to work for a myriad of reasons will be felt for years to come, but economists are likely to be discussing the response for decades. Even more importantly, it brought up questions about supply chains, readiness, and public health policy in general, particularly here in the U.S. States' rights and the ability of local governments to affect policy away from the oversight of the federal government has been a rallying cry since the time of the Founding Fathers, and has now extended not only to local governments, but to companies as well. The sweeping changes in healthcare that were brought about by the Affordable Care Act took some of the latitude that states and companies had in providing health care away. And this is one of the reasons that the legislation has been under attack from Republicans since it was passed. To be fair, the Affordable Care Act falls well short of the approach to socialized medicine that most of the rest of the developed world has adopted. And both parties continue to struggle with the fact that as much as the U.S. government represents a major buyer of healthcare products and services through its Medicare and Medicaid programs, it has been unable to prevent the constant increase in prices paid by healthcare consumers here in the U.S. over the past two decades. The ACA has also not been able to help deliver a consistent healthcare experience, especially to underserved and rural communities. While much has been made about losing private payer healthcare options, the baseline for care has not been raised for these underserved communities. And there is no economic incentive for healthcare providers to expand their footprint to open more centers in areas where per capita income and or population density are low. So what does this have to do with the pandemic? Well, first and foremost, let's spotlight the major positive. The efforts to incentivize private research to produce public benefit is not new, but it is underutilized in my opinion. The funding for government-sponsored research across a wide range of specialties has fallen over time, making public-private partnerships not only an attractive option for governments to consider, but a necessary one in times such as this. Being able to provide incentives for companies to pursue a COVID-19 vaccine allowed for not only a faster result, it also allowed for multiple countries to participate in moving towards a solution without the political wrangling that is typically part of these types of discussions. While many object to high drug prices for treatments for rare diseases, without a financial incentive, companies would not be undertaking this research, and governments are much more likely to need to rationalize the potential benefit in terms of people served in making their decisions about healthcare research. The negative, of course, is what we are experiencing today. Our country's healthcare system is highly fragmented. Oversight varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Records are not easily shared or even available in many cases. And the constant changes to healthcare coverage that result from healthcare being tied to employment create an environment where delivery of a coordinated public health initiative is incredibly difficult. While there have been some areas that the current administration could have done a better job with, the task to disseminate these vaccines quickly and effectively, especially given supply constraints and logistical challenges of transport, 
is almost Herculean given our current healthcare infrastructure. When we talk about infrastructure, in most cases, people think about roads and bridges. But my view is that the pandemic is likely to accelerate the discussion of our country's inconsistent healthcare infrastructure as an area that must be improved, particularly for the underserved. A final point about the ripple effects of the pandemic is that it is still unclear about who is responsible for coordinating a response to public policy issues on a more global basis. The federal government's role in mobilizing a response to a military threat has always been clear. And while COVID-19 did not represent a military threat, it clearly remains a threat to the health and safety of the American people. I think many would expect that in the future, the federal government would be expected to be more actively involved in coordinating this type of response, especially in terms of obtaining and dispersing necessary supplies, creating public policy recommendations, providing accurate reporting, and as necessary, crafting guidance for state and local authorities to follow. In short, the importance of public-private partnerships in research the need for cooperation globally on issues of health policy, and the importance of improving our current healthcare system here in the U.S. were all highlighted in the last year, and all of these should be the focus of policymakers in the years ahead. While these should hardly be called silver linings, it is more than just blind faith that guides our belief that we will be better prepared for the next pandemic, and that the next several years will be met with progress on this front. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and the year ahead by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters while you're there. And be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company.
Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.